Well, last week, I'm glad to see that most of you came back from last week, because I probably, I probably scared a lot of you because I preached the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace brings freedom. It brings liberty. It, 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 it is a life lived in Christ Jesus. It's a life dictated by the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit, than the written law. See, we, we are under the spirit of the law, not the word of the law. The word of the law is demanding. It's unbending. But we know why, with the spirit within us, we now know why we do what we do, why God calls us to do what we do. And we've been in this series being transformed. And because a lot of times we think about being transformed, we, we think about the evil that we're supposed to be transformed from, the evil of the world. But last week, we looked at that religion, we need to be transformed. We need our minds renewed from the religion of the world also. Men's attempt to be right with God. And, there, and I really said some things that probably caused you never heard before in church. But it's the truth. It's the truth. There is a freedom, there's a liberty that God expects you to live in. Adam and Eve lived in perfect freedom, perfect liberty before the fall. In Romans, this has kind of been our, our, our ground uh, scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we talked about this last week, that God's will is good, perfect, and acceptable for your life. So you might as well just stop fighting against that. Just settle in your mind that God's will for me is good, perfect, and acceptable. God only has good for you. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. We are to be walking, living. As you received Christ, we are supposed to be walking out this life, firmly rooted in him. How? By faith. Faith in what Christ has done. Faith in what Christ has done in you. Verse 8, see to it. See to it. It's up to us to see to it. The King James, we've talked about this before. The King James says, beware. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy. The world's schemes, the world's ideas, the Babylonian system of the world, Satan looks to take people captive to the way that they think. And we're not talking about just, and we'll explain this a little bit more, but we're not just talking about having a thought. We're talking about a system of thinking. The way that you see life, that is, a that is a philosophy. And empty deceptions according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. You have been made complete in Christ Jesus. How many people do not believe that? Almost everybody doesn't believe it. They don't believe it. Church don't preach that. We're trying to obtain something. We're trying to get something. We need to go to the next level. Like there's levels in Christianity. There is no levels in Christianity. You are born into the, to the family of God. 
And when you are born in the family of God, you have everything already in you that you need. There is a maturing process. When a baby is born, they don't elevate to the next level. They grow up in who they already are. They don't have to try to work to get to the next level. They just grow. And that's how it is in Christ. We grow up in him. How? Through faith. Faith in what he has done. We are complete. The seed that was sown, the uncorruptible word that was sown into your spirit when you were born again has everything in it to make you look just like Jesus. And we just let that word grow up in us. You are complete in him. That's something that you had to have a philosophy on. You, that's how you got to see the rest of your life, that I am complete in Christ. I have everything in me. There's nothing I have to obtain to get. It's already been given to me by God's grace. Look at this. In empty traditions of men, according to the principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. According to Christ. The principles of the world. See, our philosophy in life has to bring everything back to Christ, who we are in Christ Jesus, what Christ accomplished. And we have been made complete in him, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And if we are complete in him, and he's the head of all rule and authority, everything else is under our feet. Philosophy. We've been talking about philosophy. Philosophy in the simplest form means a system of thought or way of thinking. A system of thought or way of thinking. And like we said, it's not so much the thoughts that pop into our head that are the issue. It's the thoughts that we subconsciously make us up who we are. The way of thinking. There's a difference between just having a thought and actually that thought becoming your identity, who you are. There is a difference of having a thought and having a philosophy. You can say God wants me to succeed, right? If you're in church, oh, amen, God wants me to succeed. I'm the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. But you can have those thoughts and still have a philosophy, a way of seeing yourself that is pessimistic. That's why confession, just, that's why I have such a hard time with confession, just confessing Thoughts instead of the thoughts becoming who you are. See, once, you, once those thoughts become who you are, you don't have to speak them out of your mouth because that's your, now your identity. You, you're living them out. You're in a living epistle of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, you can say that, that God wants me to be healed, but still have a philosophy, a way of thinking like a sick person. Getting ready for the flu season. Get your flu shot. The flu's going around. If anybody's going to get sick, I'm going to be the one that gets sick. You see yourself as a sick, or you see yourself the one that is going to get sick rather than the healed. That's, that sickness and disease is trying to attack. That's a whole different... You say, what's the difference between being seeing yourself as someone that's trying to... That, that's sick that needs to get healed and... One that's healed that needs to fight off sickness. Because you're already standing, you're either standing from a place of defeat or you're standing from a place of victory. You are already more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. 
You can say that God wills me, for me to, to uh, prosper. But you can have a philosophy, a way of thinking that's poverty-driven. I see this throughout the church big time. They wonder why they're not prospering. They, they quote the scriptures. They might even give. But the way they run their life, the way that they think is poverty-driven. They go to a hotel, and they get all the bars of soap that they can before they leave and put them in their, their uh, suitcase before they leave. Why? They don't really need them. And what the heck are you going to do with them? They're so small anyways. You, I mean, one time I was showering up in, at a hotel, and the bar was so, so small that all of a sudden it disappeared. I still haven't found it. I don't know where it is. But you have this way of thinking of, if it's free, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. Because I need it. Instead of understanding that God is your provider, he cares for you. He wants all good things for you. That everything your hand touches prospers. You are to be a blessing. It's a whole difference in a way of a thinking in life. Our philosophy, our system of thinking should be Christ. Everything that we look at in life, every situation we encounter, whether it's a blessing or if it's a storm, we look at it as in Christ. What, what does my standing in Christ say about the situation that I'm about to go into? We just get, we get angry. Someone does this wrong, we get angry. Well, that was a stupid decision. Because in Christ, what does the Bible say? You have peace. You have joy. You have gentleness. You have self-control. You have all these wonderful things that you could choose, and you chose anger? It doesn't make... See, we do not see ourselves. It's a philosophy of thinking. We think when someone takes advantage of us, we have to protect ourselves. we got to make sure we don't get taken advantage of. If our role model of how we're supposed to live our life, our example is Jesus Christ, he got taken advantage of more than anybody in existence. He was God Almighty. He let his own creation use him, abuse him, steal from him, beat him, kill him. Why? Because he trusted the goodness of God. He trusted God's plan for his life. He trusted his Father. See, we are supposed to have this system of thinking of only Christ. Colossians 2, 6, we just read this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We are to be living our life in the faith of Jesus Christ, seeing ourselves in Christ. Galatians Paul speaking here. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Man, if we just... Christ lives in us, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, we think that God did all this work. He loved us. He gave... Jesus died for us. He redeemed us. He brought us into his family. He, he sent his spirit to dwell within us. And now 
He's out to destroy us. That's just nonsense. We are to live our life in the goodness of God. And who is the goodness of God? The goodness of God is the glory of God. Who's the glory of God? Jesus Christ is the glory of God. Jesus is the manifestation of the goodness of God. And the goodness of God is the glory of God. And you say, Chad, how do you know the goodness of God is the glory of God? Because on Mount Sinai, Moses says, can I see your glory? And God said, well, you can't see the full expression of my glory, but I'll put you in this cleft of the rock, and I'll walk by you and let, you, and let my goodness pass you by. The glory of God is the goodness of God. And the goodness of God is Jesus Christ. But the issue is, is that we live in this world, and the world is still broken, this world is still fallen, and, and the world wants you to have contrary way of thinking, and that's what is, it started out from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. It says, Out of the garden the Lord God caused to grow every tree that was pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, this is the two ways of the way that the world thinks. You have good and you have evil. It's either good or it's evil. And depending on who you talk to, they'll deem to you what's evil and what's good. This is where we get this idea that morality is just, it changes. There is no absolute truth. Why? Because if you're dictating what's good and what's evil, then what is truth? And that's what, this isn't something new. We've seen this last week when Paul encountered these philosophers, these people that had a philosophy, a way of thinking during Paul's time, the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans were the kind, they were the tree of the flesh, the evil. Just do whatever feels good and avoid pain at all costs. Live your life to the full and enjoy it. And then you had the Stoics. The Stoics were the self-controlled, dignified, to no, no matter if your emotions were good or bad, no matter if the feelings were good or bad, you were to push down. They were the Spocks of the day. They, had, they, they pushed down all their emotions, all their feelings. They shunned any, any pleasures in life. And that's the two extremes. The good... In the evil. And we still live in that life today. We, we have religion that says self-denial is good. Pleasure is bad. And then you have the heathen, those that don't know God, and they say, live life to the full. Try, do whatever it takes not to have pain in your life and ride this roller coaster to the end. Both, though, are carnal. Both is depending on the flesh. Religion depends on the flesh just as much as a, as a worldly person because they are dictating for themselves what is good and what is evil. Satan's strategy is to use crafty, crafty deceitful, and cunning intelligence to control your thoughts and, control, and, and conform you into the image of this world. Be not conformed, but be transformed. Satan is trying to use thoughts to Form you into the image of the world, to 
put you in the mold of the world. And this isn't something new. The media, the media is doing this like, like crazy in our day and age. They're trying to give you a way of thinking. The way our school systems are set up is to subconsciously put you in a way of thinking. This isn't something new. The, the, the media and all of this has been going from the, from the very, very beginning. Jesus had to deal with, with the, the thoughts and the patterns of this world, the teachings of this girl, world. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4 for though we walk, live in the flesh, we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh and using mere human weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of the flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrowing and the destruction of strongholds. What are strongholds? Those are, those are things that you run into when Stress, when things happen in your life, when, when, when a situation comes in your life, those are things, that, a thought pattern that you go into that's a safe place. And we're supposed to be pulling down those strongholds. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasons and every proud and lawfully thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One. We are to take every thought that puffs itself up that are arguments and theories and reasonings against the true knowledge of God and lead it captive. You are supposed to take your thoughts captive, not allow your thoughts to take you captive. And you bring them into obedience into Christ. We take thoughts captive to the reality of our position in Christ. All your thoughts that come into your mind will try to Defute who you are in Christ Jesus. And that's the exact same thing that Satan did to Jesus. That's the same thing he did to Adam and Eve. He came to Jesus and says, If you are the Son of God, do this. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, he was questioning who he was. And that's all the thoughts and circumstances that come up in your life. They are questioning who you are and what is your philosophy in life. We now live our lives in relationship with God. Our understanding of that relationship is filtered through the glory of God, which is Christ and Him crucified, the very goodness of God to all humanity. We filter our entire life, our entire beating through Jesus Christ. Never disobey a God again. How, how many of you here would never, would like to never, ever disobey God again? How many of you would like to know the secret to never doubting God? I'm about to give it to you. You better, you're going to get your money's worth today. You have the, right here is going to be the secret to never disobeying God again. Ready? Here it is. The root of all doubt and unbelief is believing Satan's lie that God is withholding good from you. The root of all doubt and unbelief is believing Satan's lie that God is withholding good from you. 
The only reason you would ever disobey God is because you thought that God wasn't out for your best interest. You're believing a lie that what God is telling you to do is not going to lead to fulfillment, is not going to lead to joy, is not going to it's going to lead to frustration and emptiness. And that's the answer to it. Being rooted and grounded in love. Being rooted and grounded in Christ. Romans 2.4, look at this. I even got a scripture to back it up. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? See, it's not trials and tribulations. It's not famine and pestilence. It's not sickness and disease. It's not going without or lack that leads a man to change their mind about God. It is when he realizes that God is good and he desires good in your life that causes a man to change his thoughts about God. The cross screams at the top of its lungs that God is good and desires good for all humanity. It's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance, that causes you to change your mind. When you realize that God is good and that he wants good for you, why wouldn't you do everything that he says? The reason why our kids disobey their parents, their parents love them. They want the best for them. They want to protect them. They, want, they have wisdom. They know what certain choices will result but the reason why kids disobey their parents is because they don't know that they only want good for them. That's why it's so important for your kids to know the unconditional love of a father and mother. That you love them. That you, that you smother them in love. That they know, when you know someone loves you, and they tell you to jump off the roof. You're going to jump off the roof. They trust you. That says so much. That faith thing where, where you fall backwards and someone behind you catches you. Most people won't fall backwards because they're afraid that they're not going to get caught. They don't trust. Kids, they... Dad says, come on, jump into the pool, I'll catch you. And they won't do it. Why? Because they don't trust him. God is good. And the reason why we fail to follow God, the reason why we struggle with what God is telling us to do in our life is because we don't think he wants good for us. And this could be a simple thing. It doesn't just have to be cut and dry. It doesn't have to be cut and dry. On, we always go right to the moral issues. I'm talking about in your heart, God is wanting you to change. God is wanting you to change your job. He wants you to, he, he's calling you to do something else. He's calling, he's calling you to be an entrepreneur. He's calling you to do something, and, and you refuse 
to do it because you don't think he wants the best for you. So many people are afraid to, to find out God's will for their life because they think he's going to send you to Africa. Do you know that God would never send you to Africa without first putting a love for Africa in your heart? And I've shared this with you, and this isn't a, this isn't a slam on this area or this community. This was me and my own selfish desires. For, for years, when I felt a calling into the ministry, I never, ever once, not once, not ever did it ever cross my mind that I would be doing ministry in the area, the town that I grew up in. Chicago sounded good. Or, you know, somewhere, somewhere more, I don't want to say sophisticated, that's not nice. Just something, I don't know. Culture, yeah. I never pictured myself doing it ministry here. And the only reason, the only reason that this church ever exists is because I sat on a porch talking to God, and he says, why not here, why not now? And he, he changed my heart. So it's all your guys' fault. God wants the best for you. And, and every day, every choice, no matter what the circumstance looks like, I have to get up every morning. I show up on Sunday mornings. Whatever, whatever the situation, I start out knowing that God is good and he wants the best for us. When you know the goodness of God, you will automatically cause you to change the way you think. Adam and Eve didn't know God. They didn't really know God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You know, questions are good. Questions are awesome if it's a question trying to get understanding. But, but questions can be destructive when they're rooted and grounded in unbelief. The Pharisees and the Sadducees asked Jesus many questions. But none of them were to get understanding. They were all rooted in unbelief. They weren't seeking out truth. They were trying to mold truth through their questions. The serpent asked questions. Did God really say? Did God say that you shouldn't eat from any of the tree of the garden? You couldn't eat from any of them? See, right off the bat, God's withholding something from you. He doesn't want you to have. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And this religion comes in, that God says this, and if God says that not to eat it, I'll do one better. I won't even touch it. You want more on that? Get last week's teaching. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. See now, he's got her questioning, she's got her got her adding on to the word of God. And now he comes out with a bold faced lie. You will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat 
of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's lies are always wrapped in a little bit of truth. If you wanted to poison somebody, you wouldn't put the poison in cow dung, would you? You put it in a steak or snicker bar or whatever. So people would eat it. Satan's lies, he's crafty, he's subtle. He takes a little bit of truth. Because the truth was, because it was that they would be like God, knowing good and evil. Right? Because God says we can't allow them to eat of the tree of life because they have become like us, knowing good and evil. God was holding something back from Adam and Eve. Satan was right. God was holding something back from Adam and Eve. What was it? Evil. He did not want them to know evil. He only wanted them to know good. Satan comes and lies to you, trying to tempt you, saying God is withholding from you. The reason why... God doesn't want you to rack up your credit card bill is because he doesn't want you to have that 60-inch TV. He doesn't want you to have those trips to Bahamas. He doesn't want you to have those things. God's withhold. The reason why God puts these principles in place, the reason, why, the reason why God doesn't want you to commit adultery is because he doesn't want you to have fun in life. The reason why God doesn't want you to rob, cheat, steal is because he just wants you not to be ahead, get ahead in life. See, he doesn't, he's not that blunt with it. But subconsciously, because of our philosophy of God not being a good God and not wanting the best for our life, we think to ourselves, the only way that I can be satisfied, the only way I can get ahead, the only way that I can have pleasure in life, find true contentment and joy, is do it my own way. Or just eat a little bit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, Satan doesn't come with full-blown lies. God was holding something back from Adam and Eve. But it wasn't his goodness. It was evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. She rationalized. She looked. She now is completely being controlled by her physical senses and controlled by her flesh. Satan causes you to question God's goodness. This is how Satan does it. Every single temptation is the same. It's the same. You're not unique. You're not to be tempted in some strange way. Satan only tempts in one way. And the first thing he does is get you to question God's goodness. 
then Satan causes you to think that God is withholding something back from you, and he is. He is holding something back from you, and that is evil. God's will for your life is good. God's will for your life is safety. God's will for your life is joy unspeakable and full of glory. That is his will for your life. And he is holding something back from you. He's holding back evil. He's holding back destruction. He, he wants to hold back pain and sorrow. God has never done anything but good. Do you believe that? Most people might say they believe, but deep down they say, well, what about the Old Testament? God has never done anything but good. If you don't understand the Old Testament, if the Old Testament doesn't look like Jesus, if the Old Testament doesn't look like love, you are not interpreting it right. You are not seeing it right. See, it all comes back to what you believe about God. Right? And how do we know what God is like? Most people go to the Old Testament to find out what God the Father is like. And you're wrong. You can't go to the Old Testament. You can't go to the shadows and see what God is like. You have to go to the New Testament when Jesus Christ says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Anything that doesn't look like Jesus, anything that doesn't look like a God that would allow himself to be crucified for his creation is not God. Anything that does not look like the goodness of Jesus Christ is not God. You have a perverted view of God. Jesus is the express image, it says, the express exact image of God. And God is good. It frustrates me to no end when I hear people think that God is doing evil to him, doing bad. He gets, he gets, God is good all the time. It's just not some, quick, quick, some thing we say in church. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. He's good. And we need a philosophy of life that in every situation we face, we know that God is good, and God is with us. The philosophy that God is good must be the foundation of our life. We must interpret the whole Bible through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the end He's the beginning. He's the middle. He's everything. Christ is everything. The whole Bible is a story to get us to Christ. And everything that we interpret in the Bible must be interpreted through Jesus Christ. For he is the exact, the express image of God the Father. See, we must know God better than Adam and Eve did because we can fall into that exact same temptation to not trust that God is good. And you might be thinking, but Adam and Eve, they, they walked every, every night in the cool of the day with God. As, as the day was cooling down, they would walk with God. They would talk with him. They heard him with their, with their audible ears. They heard God with their audible ears. They, they, 
How can we know God better than Adam and Eve when they knew him before the fall? They, they talk with God, they walk with God, and they still raised up a son that killed his brother. And he had God talk directly to him. We need to have a better relationship with Jesus than the disciples did. How many people say that? Oh, I wish I could have been a disciple. I would have great faith to walk the shores of Galilee with Jesus, see the miracles that he did. Oh, I I would never doubt. Really. It says that when Jesus was taken away, all forsook him. These men walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the walking on the water. They've seen the storms calmed. They've seen the multitudes fed. And they still doubted. One even betrayed him. Another one says, after he rose from dead, I will not believe until I put my hands in the palm of his hands and in his side. See, we think, oh, how wonderful it would be to see Jesus in the flesh. But they all seen him in the flesh and they struggled to believe. Why? Because they seen him in the flesh. We don't realize what it was like for Jesus, God, to come in the flesh. They've seen him walking. They've seen him talking. They've seen him sweating. They walked from town to town. There was no showers. You know, you don't take a shower every morning. He stunk. They've seen him get tired as they sat in Samaria at the well while they went and got food. They've seen him wept at the grave of Lazarus. They, they've seen Jesus walk and talk and hungry and eat and laugh and cry. They've seen Jesus use the bathroom. Can you imagine seeing Jesus use the bathroom and thinking to yourself, that's God. <laughs> See, we are so controlled by the f- flesh that we think it'd be better to live back then, but it's not. It's better to live right now. You can know Jesus better now than the disciples did through the Spirit and the Word. Second Peter, this is one of the disciples. Second Peter 1, 16 and 18, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what is he saying here? He's saying that this isn't something just someone made up. We're not just telling you some fables that, that uh, is being passed down. We're not talking some philosophy of life that we've never seen demonstrated in the flesh. He's talking about his experience in the flesh. He says, I have seen Jesus. I have seen it with my own eyes. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were 
with him on the holy mountain. What is he talking about here? He was talking about when they went out, uh, um, Peter, James, and John went up to the mountain of transfiguration. And the glory of God shined from out of Jesus, not upon. Do you know the glory of God is going to be revealed to all men from within you, not from above? We're waiting for glory come down, glory come down. No, glory has to come out. The glory of God dwells within these earthen vessels. You have the glory of God trapped in your vessels, and he, he wants to get out. The goodness of God wants to just explode all over the place. But they were saying that they were with Jesus up on the holy mountain, and he started radiating with the glory of God, and they heard the audible voice of God saying, This is my Son. In whom I'm well pleased. I find it funny that Peter never said anything about him putting his foot in his mouth. Well, it's good, good that we're here. Let's make three tabernacles and live up here. And God says, this is my son. Hear him only. But he's saying that this, what they're sharing with people, isn't something that they just, that they just made up, somebody made up. He says, we are eyewitnesses of this. And the proof of it is, is they went on to give their life for this eyewitness account. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we ourselves heard the utterance made from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. We wish that we could have it. We want a dream. We want to hear the audible voice of God. You know, lots of people heard the audible voice of God and didn't understand it, didn't know what it meant. They thought it was an angel. They thought it was lightning. Look what Peter goes on to say. So we have a prophetic word made more sure. Made more sure than what? Than the eyewitness. Than the audible voice that they heard from heaven. So we have a prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. And for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. When someone says that, that the Bible is not inherent, that God isn't the Word of God, and I'm talking about Christians, Right here, from the lips of Peter, it says that there was nothing ever written in Scripture that was of one man's own interpretation. But it was God speaking through those individuals. And he says, we can be so assured that the written word is the word of God, that, it's, that he stakes more assurance on the written word than he does on his eyewitness account in hearing an audible voice from heaven. We have a more sure word. The written word of God. You can know God more intimately through the word of God and through the spirit than actually having a physical account with him. See, Paul even said this. He says that we no longer know Christ according to the flesh. See, we can't have our knowledge with Christ. Christ can't be just in, in the flesh. We have to have knowledge with Christ through the Word of God. So we can, we can know Jesus. Let me put it this way. We can know Jesus in a way that the disciples were hindered because of the flesh. Who wrote more of the revelation of Christ than any other apostle? 
Paul. Paul wrote more of a revelation of who Christ was in his glorified state than any other disciple, any other apostle. And they knew him according to the flesh. They lived with him for three and a half years. But Paul had even such a revelation of Christ that Peter said that some of the things that he says is hard to believe, but it's Scripture. Not believe, hard to understand. But it's Scripture. Paul had a revelation. He had a, a relationship with God, and it was all through the Spirit and the, and the Word of God, the Word of prophecy. When we are faced with hardships, how can we be sure God is good? When you're faced with a hardship in life, how can you know that God is good? There's only one way. Through the Word. We can know God is good because His Word says He's good. When we're facing hardships, we can say, greater is He that's in me than he that's in the 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 world. That God desires for me to prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. That as I face this, this situation, that God's got all sufficient grace for this situation. His grace is enough. His ability is enough to face any hardship. God is good because the Word of God says that He's good. And the Word of God is Christ Jesus. Right? See, I got to keep going back to this. You have to interpret the Word of God through Christ. Because the Christ is what? The Word made flesh. He has dwelt among us. He is the embodiment. He is the embodiment of God. He is the embodiment of the Word of God. And so we filter what we believe about the Word through the actions of Christ in the finished work of Christ. We're about done. You can hear God better in your heart than with your physical ears. Do you know that? You hear God all the time. You just don't trust your own heart. You can hear God in your heart better than with physical ears. Do you know that you can see? You can see things in your heart better than you can see them with your physical eyes. Because your physical eyes only see the natural through the eyes of your heart and the word of God, you can see by faith. You can see your future through the faith of God or you can see it through your natural eyes. That's huge. You can know Jesus better than the disciples did because they knew him according to the flesh. We know him as seated at the right hand of God. We have all the revelation of the word of God, of what it all meant, why he came, the restoration of all humanity back onto God, that he was made sin so that we might be made the righteous of God in him, that we could be made new creations in Christ Jesus, that he is love, he is love poured out on all humanity. You can know Jesus better than the disciples did when he knew him in the flesh through the revelation of the word of God. 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I am afraid 
that the, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. See, we can't even know what the devil is going to do because of the word of God. And the word of God is to come and tempt you to think that Christ is not enough, that God's holding something back from you, and the only, he'll either use religion, that Christ is not enough. You, you, if you want God to answer your prayers, you better do this, this, and this. Or he'll tempt you by the flesh. The other side of the flesh, tree of knowledge, good and evil, that the only way you can get ahead is to be self-centered and total self-gratification. And that trust that in Christ Jesus you have been made complete. Nothing missing, nothing broken, wholeness. The shalom peace of God is in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, that dwells within you. And trusting and having faith in him that he only wants good for your life. We must know that God, through the we must know God through the Word, and we must know the Word through Jesus, and we must see ourselves in the mirror by that same Word. Let me say that again. We must know God, and the only way that we can know God is through the Word, right? And we must know the Word through Jesus, because Jesus is the Word made flesh. And then we must know ourselves in that mirror of the Word, which is the Word of God, and. We know ourselves because we're supposed to look just like Jesus. So many people look in, in the Bible, and they read the Bible, and they're looking for how they're not like Jesus. Why would you be looking at the Bible as a dead man, looking at something that's dead and buried and has been crucified? That's no longer you. See, we go through the Bible looking for our old man. We read it, and we get convicted well, I do that, so that must be me. No, that was you, but you've been born again. We don't, we, we're supposed to go through the Bible seeing who we are in Christ, not who we are in Adam. Messages get preached every single Sunday pointing out who you are in Adam. But if you're born again, you're dead. You died in Adam and have been resurrected in Christ Jesus. So all of our teaching, all of our reading, all of our scriptures have to point to who we are in Christ Jesus. And when, it's so simple, it's so simple. And when we believe who we are in Christ Jesus, we'll act like it. If you believe that you're the the devil, you're going to act like the devil. If you believe that you're in Christ Jesus, you're going to act like Christ Jesus. It's that simple. It's being transformed into the image of Christ. That is already in your spirit, just renewing our minds to the goodness of God. When you do, you will always walk in the promises of God and have no issue obeying God because you will be rooted in the eternal truth that God is a good God and only wants good for you. And today, this morning, you have to decide for yourself is that your philosophy? Do you really believe, as you sit in these pews, as you walk out these doors, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, are you going to live your life with a philosophy, with a way of believing, a way of seeing life 
that no matter what situation comes, you are rooted and grounded in the truth that God is good and he only wants good for you. See, when I say that, I don't know who's, if people are thinking it right now or what, but I, I just think people are, have this idea that this is like a happy gospel. You're right, it is a happy gospel. It means, the gospel means good news almost too good to be true. And a lot of times people are so dualistic. What do I mean by dualistic? They, they segregate spiritual from natural. And what they don't understand is that when Jesus Christ came to the earth and became a man, he married the natural and the spiritual together. That God wants good for you just in the... Well, God wants good for you, but it's spiritual goodness he wants for you. He just wants, he just wants spiritual goodness. He doesn't care nothing about this natural world. It's a lie. He loves this. For God so loved the world. In the end, God's going to redeem the what? The world. When God created the earth, it was good. Romans 8.32. This is what I put on every single person's birthday card, wedding thing, wedding cards. This is a scripture that we need to meditate on. And have a, it, it, this sums up today's today's uh, message, Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God wants to freely give you all things? If he's already given you Jesus, everything else is nothing. And when we have areas in our life, God doesn't want to bless me financially. God doesn't want to heal me. God doesn't... What you're doing is you're elevating those things above Christ. You're saying that God is willing to give me Jesus, but my healing, my prosperity, my marriage, my children, those are greater than Christ, and God might not give me those things. By God giving us Jesus Christ, he has proclaimed to us that he is good, and he wants nothing but good for you. Amen. Amen. You've been transformed this morning? Let's pray. Father, we just love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy that is renewed every morning. As we, <laughs> as we have taught this morning that you are good and you only want good for us. And, the, and your word even says that we don't ever have to worry about it getting old. We don't have to worry about it running out. Every morning, your goodness is renewed. Your mercy is renewed. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for your written word, that we can know your heart. We thank you for the spirit of God that dwells within each believer here that can give us a revelation to the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus and who we are in God. 
Father, we just ask that you would transform us, transform our minds, and that we would not be tossed to and fro by the cunningness of men's deceptive lies that are based on the elementary truths of this world. That we would be rock solid in the Word of God. That our questioning would be questioning to understand the world, to understand you, understand our relationship in this world and how that all plays out and it wouldn't ever be rooted in just unbelief. Father, this morning we thank you that the Holy Spirit is renewing our minds and giving us a conviction of the goodness of God this morning. That no matter what situation we're in right now, you are for us 100%. And that you can work all things together for good for those that love you and are called by your name. So this morning, we, we proclaim that we love you, Lord. And that we've been called by your name. And we look forward for the goodness of God to take over the situations in our life. And we receive it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.